Good morning on this Wednesday in the 18th week of Ordinary Time. We have the scriptural passage today from Matthew. We're in the 15th chapter, 21 through 28. We encounter this reading that may at first read seem confusing or difficult. Our, our Lord appears to be hard-hearted. You know, let's, let's step back and look at context and remember, in fact, we begin our liturgy of the word in a reading from Jeremiah. This is a prophecy spoken to the people who are now in captivity. They will be soon returning to their home. And Jeremiah is now speaking words of encouragement out of the 31st chapter about this return home to their homeland and that Zion will be reestablished. Israel will stand up again, the temple reconstituted, this day of glory to come. Abraham is, as we know, the beginning of the Abrahamic tradition and faith. And he's the father of all nations. And we're told quite clearly in Scripture that it is through Abraham all peoples will come to know him. That's out of the 12th chapter of Genesis. Through Abraham, all peoples will come to know God. Through Abraham, all peoples will come to know God. That's a concept that's really important to understand because it helps explain God's outworking of his will in the world. We have to be careful not to venture into discussions or ideas around manifest destiny. That can get a little, little uneasy, can't it, when we start thinking, well, God willed God willed this to happen. Well, God may or may not have willed a specific thing to happen. But what we do know, stated through God, through his intercession into the lives of many, is that through Abraham, all nations will come to know the Creator God. And then through Abraham and his descendants, we have the people of Israel. And this chosen people by God to bring the truth of God to the world and his presence manifests so. And Jesus Christ, his son, is the fulfillment of that prophesied truth. It's the fulfillment of the promises made to the people of Israel. That is the personhood of Jesus Christ, fully human, fully divine. So today we have this encounter. Mark calls her a Syrophoenician. Matthew calls her a Canaanite. It's this coastal region between Seir, uh, Sidon and Tyre, these cities. And it's to the immediate northwest of the Sea of Galilee along the Mediterranean coast. If you were in Crater Lake, this would be uh, Portland. If you were in Crater Lake, Oregon, this would be Portland. And Crater Lake being analogous to the Sea of Galilee. To the northwest sits this large, these two large cities. They were big seaports. And the Phoenician people had mastered seafaring and these were very large trading ports. But, but as the people of Israel uh, made their wanderings through the desert and arrive in the land of Canaan, from the book of Judges we hear and read clearly it was God's intentionality that these people of God's choosing, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, would occupy that land and move into that land. And other nations who were of a pagan orientation and who were refusing of God would be defeated and pushed out. So this Canaanite woman is a descendant of a culture that still remained along the coast and throughout what is today modern-day Israel and were not part of the Jewish people. So they were outsiders. They were, they were pagans. They were not believers in God, in Yahweh. We have this encounter where this woman comes to him, our Lord, seeking help. 
And there are two encounters like this in Scripture. One is this woman and one is the centurion, both of them of non-Jewish or Gentile or pagan belief systems. There was a temple of healing just north of Sidon, about three miles outside of, outside of Sidon, that she could have accessed. She didn't. She comes instead to meet our Lord and ask for his intervention. And she calls him son of David. Isn't that interesting? She refers to him as a title that would only have been relevant to an Israelite. Son of David had no meaning to a pagan, but she knows him by his title, son of David. Twice in scripture, with this woman seeking restoration for her daughter and for the centurion seeking restoration for his servant, Christ says and, and acknowledges their great faith, your great faith. And he says that almost in admonishment to his disciples around him. It's the centurion's great faith. It's this woman's great faith that have brought healing. And he meets her need. He satisfies her need. And her daughter is, in fact, healed. But there's this exchange that happens. And it's a cultural exchange still used today in the Mideast. This notion of dog. Dog is probably the most derogatory term you can use for an Arab. It's the most, probably the, the most awful thing you can say is to refer to an Arab as a dog. And that happens today in that context in the Mideast such and such people or peoples, if you want to be wounding in your words, would refer to them as a dog. And Jesus, not intending to be derogatory and, and, and wounding, of course, but he says to her, it's not right that the scraps, that the children's meal be thrown to the dogs, because he's describing the difference between Israel and the surrounding cultures. He's, he's standing in the truth of God's promise to the Israelite people. That's what our Savior is doing. He's not seeking to wound this person. He's speaking a truth. And in a way, he is shaming the people of Israel who are the people of covenant who have denied the reality of Christ. That's the focus. Not the wounding of this woman, but that the people of Israel to whom he was sent to minister and call have denied him and in fact ultimately will crucify him, denying that he is the Messiah. And yet this pagan woman sees him as capable of healing and seeks out his, his help, to which he generously responds, and to us he likewise generously responds. So as we navigate through these times right now in our contemporary world, and we hear, uh, you can hear, I'm sure, or have read potentially news stories about how Christianity is narrow-minded and bigoted, how it's an oppressive religion, we have to reflect carefully on the context that it's through the Abrahamic faith, through the descendant of Abraham, through Jesus Christ, that all people will come to know God. It's an exclusionary promise, not a bigoted or arrogant one. It's open to everybody. Everybody is open to the receptive word of Christ. We have a free will choice to accept it or deny it based on based on our formation in the home, we may be more or less advanced in our ability to receive that word. But our opportunity as Christians and Catholics especially is to bring that truth out into the world and never be ashamed of that truth, that through Jesus Christ, the descendant of Abraham, the whole world will come to know God. That's the reason Christianity has spread throughout the world. That's the mission we're all born into in our baptismal faith. That's the commission we all receive in our acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as Lord and God. 
That's our charter. That's not bigoted. That's a privilege to bring that truth because it's the objective truth of Christ into the world. And we needn't be shy about that. We needn't be uncomfortable with the fact that there is one true God. There are lots of claims to God, small g, but there's one true God, one Trinitarian God, one Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. And it is both our privilege and our responsibility to be comfortable in that truth and live that truth out in a compassionate way in the world around us. There are lots of Syrophoenicians, there are lots of Canaanites in the contemporary context out there that, draw, that seek to draw equivalency between Jesus Christ and something else, and there isn't one. Sometimes the cruelest thing we can do is not speak a truth. Sometimes the cruelest thing we can do is not speak a truth. But our truth should be spoken in a compassionate and generous and kind and inviting way, not a condemning, not an obnoxious, not a, not a admonishing, severe way. It's not that, not a judging way because of our own, our own imperfections. We have to be aware. We need to adopt the position of this sincere woman who comes to our Lord on her knees, we're told by Matthew, seeking his help. That's our position in life, is on our knees before our Lord, seek the encouragement and, the, and the, the ability to bring the truth of his compassion and his invitation to the whole world. This was also the dedication to the Basilica, so dedicated by Pope Sixtus III, and it's in the Council of Ephesus that Mary is referred to as Theotokos, the God-bearer. What a beautiful name, Theotokos, God-bearer, bearer of God, this human chosen to do so. And in that reflection, this is the oldest church in the Western world dedicated to our Blessed Mother. So on this day, let's reflect on the truth of our Christ's arrival in the world, his advent when the, in the fullness of time, as our language tells us and reflect on the great commission we all carry through our baptismal promises. Amen.